Hey everybody, Robert with RC Archery, and you're listening to Archery Vision Podcast number four. Today's podcast is going to be dedicated to listener questions. These are going to be coming in from Instagram, and then also a couple of them are going to be coming in from Patreon. So if you haven't checked that out yet, my Patreon channel, I've adjusted the levels and uh, the subscription types, I guess is the best way to put it probably. And basically what I've done is I've created um, created different levels in there. One just for general support, very, you know, small amount, um, you know, as far as subscription amount for month, or if you just did, you know, one time or whatever you wanted to do. And then there's another one that, um, you can get some questions here on the podcast. There's some for, um, some coaching and just some different things like that, that are all worked in there. So if you haven't looked, if you didn't know I had one, you can go on Patreon, look up RC Archery and check that out. And I'll put a link for that in the description here on this podcast too. But uh, again, I'm going to start out, start answering these questions, try to get as many knocked out as I can. I'm actually um, picking up our kids today, so I'm, I'm sitting in a car rider line and uh, just kind of waiting. And I got here a little early. We've got some storms rolling in, so figured I was blessed enough to be able to have time to grab them today before they have to walk home and walk home in the pouring rain. So <laughs> uh, first question here is uh, N-I-K-N. N04, so I guess Nick uh, N04. It says, how to fix high draw arm elbow. I see everyone with this so straight arm and I just have to have it, or I just have to have it my eyes uh, in line. I guess he's saying that the elbow is in line with his eye. The, um, the rear elbow, so what he's talking about is your drawing arm, so it's your rear elbow. The height of that elbow is, uh, it does a couple different things. It's a leverage point for one. And the leverage point, what I mean by that is, the higher the elbow to a certain point, the more leverage you have over the bow to pull harder into it and try to pull it up on target. And then the lower that elbow gets down, you start losing that leverage. And at some point you get to a point where you really don't feel like you can pull back on the bow and create any tension and hold it up on target. So there's a a fine line, and this is actually something that I have an instructional video about. It's called Building um, Professional Archers Form. And I'll put a link for that in the description here as well. Basically what I do on that is I go over the study that I've done over multiple professional archers, high level amateurs and myself. And I found that whether it was a compound archer or a recurve archer, we all have a similarity in the height of that rear elbow. And it all correlates through the computer program that I built to show alignment in our body. And then it also shows the draw length that's needed and it shows the loop length that's needed. And that loop length is what controls the leverage point of that rear elbow and it controls the height. The, the data and everything that I found on that is, is pretty clear across the board. There was only a couple archers that didn't fall into this. Uh, one was Mike Schlosser and I think that has a lot to do with um, just his overall form and, and kind of how he was setting up. But surprisingly enough, Rio Wild was fine. He fell right into the category just along with everybody else. So um, the other one was um, an Australian archer. He's, I don't know that he's on the pro scene anymore. He was at the time, but he was a little bit older. And I apologize, I can't remember his name now, but um, he actually had an extremely high elbow which was out of the norm for most archers and he didn't fall into the category of everybody else that I did this on. But I mean, I looked at, 
I looked at well over a hundred different people and their form and various different types of shot execution methods and really just kind of narrowed it down to within a range, a predetermined range that everybody falls into based on how they shoot their shot, you need to be at a certain point. And that computer program that I developed gets us within an eighth to a sixteenth of an inch of an overall draw length. So if you're factoring in the bow and the loop length, it gets you really close. And then that extra little bit there at the end is really just a fine tune adjustment based off our float and what we're seeing during shot execution along with how we're weighting our stabilizers, kind of how I've built that into it now. But just in a extremely simple manner, the loop length controls your elbow height. Um, so that's that's kind of the the short answer on there, the high the high level answer, and you know just the easy way to look at it. Now, if you wanted to get more in depth on it, um, I have a coaching uh, platform that's just about that portion of it with bow fitment and draw length and how all that plays together. And then, I mean, it's a separate one from my whole package. So I'd be glad to look you over and uh, kind of go over that. And at the end of this podcast, I also have an announcement on the coaching that's going to be probably beneficial to you in your situation. Next one here is uh, Mac Ruser. It's aluminum or, or carbon for indoor arrows and why. I personally choose carbon. I think that a carbon arrow is much more forgiving. It's easier to tune and it's for me the the lighter weight on them and I mean it's an indoor arrow it's still heavy overall but it's not as heavy as an aluminum and I feel like it clears the bow a little bit quicker and inputs that I make that may not be you know correct or or as spot on from one shot to another if I have variances or something or, or make a bad shot doesn't seem like it punishes me down at the end of the you know the target as much as with a slower arrow I know that's a huge debate in the archery world <laughs> Some people say you want the weight because it gives the arrow time to correct. Some people say you don't. <clears throat> I I tested both pretty extensively and for me just found that, that that carbon arrow is better. And a lot of it boiled down to I don't want to spend hours tuning an arrow because the aluminum arrows are so much more finicky. So that carbon arrow is a lot easier for me to be able to um, you know work with. The uh, next question here, um, there's actually the same person asked two questions. It's Chris P, uh, Chris P, I guess, 2100. And it's, what's your arrow setup from point to knock? And like saying point weight, FOC, vein configuration. And then it's left or right helical, vein size, count, and any tips for putting it all together. I use a computer program called OnTarget2. And I basically input the bows in there, all their specs, and then I input arrows in there and, and all their specs as well. And the more detailed you get, the easier that you can come out with really good results I found. And that's my starting point where I where I look at. Now from there, I'm sometimes I'm having to adjust, sometimes I don't, but it's usually on point weight. So for me, I like to use top hat points. The top hat points have a screw-in brass system. It helps me be able to uh, adjust the weight extremely easily for my indoor arrows. On outdoor arrows, they have break-off points. Same thing, you can kind of glue some in different point weights and try them out. Obviously, once you break one off, you can't go back to that weight. But if you start out, you know, with just a few test arrows and kind of work through it, you can figure out where you need to be pretty soon and then, you know, adjust the points from there. Um, I use a left helical. The bow that I'm using in the last several that I've used, the arrow on a bear shaft spins out to the left. If you mark them, get close to the target, work your way back, and kind of see it clock around, and mine is, is doing counterclockwise. 
Um, so I, I fletch them left. It also gives me more uh, cable clearance, which is a huge one for me. So I like it for that too. Um, so that's my veins. It's a four fletch. And for my indoor arrows, my 26 series arrows, I'm using the, um, it's the longer fletching from AAE. Um, gosh, I can't remember what they're called now. It's been so long since I looked at it. I think it's their Plasti Fletch um, vein, a little bit longer. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's three inches long, 2.6, three inches, something like that. I'll put a description down below of that arrow set up and I'll get all the, the details and everything and I'll put it in the description of the podcast here so you can get it you know, for sure. Um, I use Biter Knox. I think they're more accurate as far as the way that they clip on the string. They don't get knock pinches easily. And they seem to have really good fitment on my string as well as far as the serving diameter that I'm using. So, and I made the serving diameter to fit that, or I ordered it that way, should I say. I get my strings from Rogue Bow Strings. You can tell them what serving diameter you need or let them know what knock you're using. They're really good about setting that up. If you ever wanna get some, I'm a dealer for them. I'll get you a discount code. Send me an email, let me know, and I'll help you out with that. Um, let's see, uh, bushings I use on there. I use the standard Black Eagle bushings. I use the PS26s for indoor, PS23s for 3D. Um, weight up front changes a little bit. I think right now I'm using 200 up front on indoors, and I believe 150 for 3D. And um, that's just kind of where I found that the arrows are grouping and tuning the best. So for me with 3D, I'm not doing any unknown. I do known yardage. It's not crazy distance. 150 point weight with a 23 you know, diameter arrow gets me really good grouping. So works well for me. Um, and you know, just a good setup. And then indoors 200 point. Again, that's just where it grouped the best for me. It seemed to give me a really good FOC and uh, work it together. Now I don't remember the FOC amounts for those. So I'll have to look that up and, and put that down in the description below. But um, I try to stay, ideally I like to stay between 12 and 20 at an extreme high end, but really between 12 and 15, 18. Um, I'll go as low as 10, but I don't like to go lower than 10. So just kind of in that area with I, when I do my FOC for any arrow that I build. Uh, Joey Velasquez, uh, 123, looking to buy my first target stabilizers. What should I look for when buying target stabilizers? Target stabilizers really boil down to how much money can you spend? And what's your budget? If budget isn't a huge issue, I can tell you what I'm running. It's Conquest Archery Stabilizers. They're the SmackDown uh, series. I use the 625s. I think that's a good middle ground in between their 500s or 500 pros if you wanted to use them and then their 747s I believe and it's just the diameter six and a quarter inch diameter and the the weight factor comes into it if you run a ton of weight on the bars a stiffer bar is going to be a, a better system for you you're not going to see as much wiggle and waggle when you get to full draw they're not going to bend as much the lower end bars, sometimes when you have cheaper bars, they're gonna not be as stiff and you're gonna see movement in your sight picture because the bars are actually flexing and moving. That's an issue to look into. Um, I generally will say for most archers, 30 up front and 12 or 15 in the back is pretty good from what I've done on research now. I've said in the past, 10 or 12. So 
it's just kind of personal preference too. I have a really good aim on the bow that I'm using right now with a 15 inch rear stabilizer and a 30 inch front. I have a 10 degree down angle on the front. I think the down angle works really well because it seems to settle the left and right wiggle faster. And that's kind of what I look at when it comes to, um, you know, having that down angle. Play with them, try them all out. Um, I mount mine lower on the back of the riser. I've had them mounted up right behind the front bar before, up on the riser. I've had amazing shooting bows both directions. I've had bows before, depending on the cam, that needed them in different places to aim the best. Exact same bow. I had a Hoyt Prevail with uh, the SVX. I needed a stabilizer to be on the lower side for the rear bar, lower back part. But then the Hoyt Prevail with the X3 needed it up top. Just really depends on the bow. Um, so try it all. Uh, that's my best, you know, way of kind of explaining that. But if you're looking for a starting point, 3012, really good round, you know, round number, even starting place. Uh, look for it that way. Start light. Don't stick a bunch of weight on the bars because you're not going to be used to them. Uh, the bars itself and the way that they stick out from the bow are going to feel heavier to begin with. And if you get a lot of extra weight on there, it's going to be awful and you're going to hate them. So start light, two ounces, you know, two, four ounces up front, you know, and then two to eight out back. Try it like that. Um, I have a setup routine on my YouTube channel. You can go on there. It's a full stabilizer setup routine that I actually pulled from an instructional video that I sell and I took that segment out, but it's fully there. Um, so it'll help you kind of set up the bars. ID Pace says, how is the best way to decide which spine is best, the stiffer or weaker, what testing? So again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. I use that on-target two stabilizer or uh, arrow building software. I can get really close on what I'm doing, but then you kind of got to test it out with the bow. And some of my bows that I've shot are on the weekend of the green and some are on the stiff end of the green. But for me, I'm kind of finding that more bows that I've shot are on the weekend of that green on that software or to the middle, somewhere in that end. I don't find very many that like a stiffer shaft um, or a spine rather on that program compared to what I used to see. Now my older bows that I had like stiffer arrows seemed like on those, but these new bows, maybe it's just the type of cams that I'm using. It's softer cam than in the past maybe. Um, just the way that they're building them, the limb angle, limb pockets, something. Um, but for me, I look at realistically what my float picture looks like on target and where my arrows are grouping. And if that arrow is grouping outside of my float pattern more than I think it should, like if I make a bad shot, fine. But if it's grouping outside of that float pattern consistently and you know, that, that for me is kind of a red flag and I look at the spine being maybe too weak or too stiff and I adjust the point weight and go from there when, I, when I'm working with it. So it's just shooting groups, shooting rounds. Uh, I shoot Vegas rounds for my indoor arrows or you could shoot a five spot either way, but just kind of tracking groups, looking at left and right. That's going to kind of determine if the spine's off a little bit for you. Uh, Jason Boris Archery says, what's a simple pre-shot routine? It's what's easiest for you to process. There's some checkpoints that I think need to be in there, but as you're becoming accustomed to your shooting in the process, you can take some of that away. But a lot of it, I mean, is stance. That's your foundation. Make sure that that's set prior to the shot. Don't move it. Get it in your perfect position. Obviously, your grip and the bow, you need to be at the right spot for that consistently. 
you need to have the right grip on your release. And when you raise your bow arm up to, uh, to draw back, I prefer to have my hand just above the shoulder. And I think that's a big one. That's one of those that you need to have built in at first when you're learning it, but it can go away once it becomes automatic. And then just drawing back, getting to anchor to where you have consistent placement for your hand on your face and kind of being persnickety about that because if your front shoulder is not correct every time because you didn't raise the bow arm up the right way or draw back the right way, you can vary and that'll show on your anchor as far as front to back of your face. And then looking at it um, as far as like your peep and your scope getting lined up the same way every time as you're anchoring, just kind of using that as a checkpoint. From there, I build tension into my shot until I see the best sight picture. That kind of gets me to the click on my release. And for now, like the way that I'm doing everything now, it's just kind of built in. When I first started doing that, I had to use that as an extra step. But now I pretty much know like, hey, I'm going to anchor. I need to feel this amount of tension in my hands with, you know, you know, in my body. But I, I look at it as my hands as my checkpoint. How much is pulling in between them? Like you had a string in between pulling against each other. And then... Um, from there, just maintaining that tension, running a shot execution. I think that's pretty simple. I don't want to bog it down. I think if you're at a point in your archery journey where you feel like you need to bog your shot execution down with a lot of different things and variations and just steps, then you need to go and break that down and work on one or two things and master them or at least get efficient with them and proficient with them as well and then allow that to become more of a subconscious effort and then just use what you're doing i mean i i know where i'm putting my feet when i walk up to the line but it's not something that i have to put a lot of thought into anymore honestly it's almost like it's the way it feels now and i know where my feet need to be same thing with you know my grip I, on the bow is a little bit more consciously doing it um, because I want to feel it and, and make sure that my hand is set up the correct way. Um, peep scope ring a little bit more conscious for me now. Um, but other than that, I mean, just checkpoint on my hand, my release hand on my face. That's pretty much all that I'm really looking at right now. Crods 111. How does one pick a stabilizer for indoors? So, I mean, I kind of went over that earlier when I was looking at stabilizers. I don't vary from indoors to outdoors. Whatever bars that I'm going to use and whatever setup I use is the same. Now, if you're somewhere in the world where you're shooting with a lot of wind, you may want to adjust stabilizers around. Some people say to run a, a shorter bar, but I've never felt a lot of difference on wind on the stabilizer. If it's windy, the bow is catching more wind than the stabilizer is, no matter what length it is, and that's what's moving. Um, if you're shooting in a lot of wind, you may want more front weight than what you might normally run, especially for indoors. Um, but for me, indoors, it's really just fine-tuning and adjusting the, the weights on my bars itself and looking for that perfect scenario. Because indoors, there's no wind, it's a controlled environment, same distance, everything. Now, I will say some indoor ranges you go to, the targets are really low, some are really high. So don't do anything where you're overpowered with the weight that's on the bow. You want to be able to control it and maintain your shot, especially if you need to lean down or up um, or really leaning back to aim up. So look into that when it comes to your um, your stabilizers and everything. R. Keaton asks, 
How do you determine your rocker position with the two finger release? Third finger seems to offer a more consistent position at anchor, thanks. I actually messaged him directly and told him my thoughts on this, but I wanted to go over this on here too because I think it's a really good one, especially with me shooting a three finger release. Um, I, or a two finger release, I'm sorry. I prefer the two finger release because I feel more consistent with it, but I think you have to adjust the release the correct way for it. You're gonna have to speed up the release using a two finger versus what you've done with a three finger release in the past because your, your pressures are more on the index. You don't have that extra finger there to be able to rotate that release. And if you don't speed the release up, you're gonna feel like you lose contact with your face because you're having to over rotate more with a two finger release in that slower speed setting. So I think the speed setting is really big. I take the index, I take the middle knuckle on my index, my middle finger, that's what I anchor with. It's more consistent, it creates a flatter hand position and it helps me be able to work through my shot more consistently. I think that's huge for archers. If you're not doing that, try it. I think you'll be surprised if you're not uh, already using it. But I take that index and I put it right on the edge of the jawbone. I don't hook it under it. I put it kind of right on the, the very bottom edge of it. And that's my consistent anchor point. I do that with a closed mouth at 20 yards. I use a trick that John Dudley come, uh, came out with and, and talked about where when I need to go back from that, as far as like back to 50 yards, say, I can just slack my mouth and let my jaw go down. My anchor point is the exact same. I feel comfortable that way, but it's moving my release hand down. So the, the peep and the scope and everything as it's going up and down on a slider side is still aligning. So that's kind of how I um, set that up. I had a couple more I'm gonna go over pretty quick. About to have to log off here. This first one is uh, Sergi, uh, yeah, Sergio 14. How can I choose my perfect draw? I'm between 27 and 27 and a half. Find your natural position that your front shoulder needs to be in, your bow shoulder needs to be in. And you find that by raising your bow arm up from your side with no bow in it and just leaving it in that position. Look at yourself in the mirror, feel it, do it a few times, kind of get used to it. Raise your bow up the exact same way, draw it back, and then see where it hits on your face. And then adjust it to where that string is just in contact with the nose and the face. And that's gonna be an extremely easy starting point for your perfect draw length. And then you can micro adjust it down from there, just depending on what you see. Now, the other part of what you may be asking there that some people have talked about is if you're in between, do you start at 27 or do you start at 27 and a half? So if you have multi draw length, uh, you know, modules or something. Looking at it from a logistics point and a mechanical aspect, it kind of depends on what you want with your hold. If you start on the longer setting and you adjust down, you're under rotating the cams to take draw length out. It's gonna take a lot of your let off away. It's going to raise your holding weight. It's gonna make the cams feel a little bit jumpier with air quotes that you can't see right now. It's gonna make it feel a little jumpier compared to what you're used to but you may want that. And the same can be said in reverse. If you start at 27 and need to adjust it out, you're elongating the cams, you're over-rotating them so that you're creating a longer draw length, you're losing some of your holding weight and you're creating a bigger valley. My personal preference is not to create a bigger valley unless you're starting at a low holding or at a low let off percentage already, like 60, 65% let off. If you're at a standard hunting setup, 70, 75, 80, 85, somewhere in there, I don't wanna elongate the valley because you start losing more tension on the string at full draw, and then release hand angle, face pressure, and some other factors go into that that can cause you some problems.
All right, next question here is JWEL7704. It's the last question for the day. It's what's the most important step or process to get your pin to park right on the X? I think the most important part of that is to understand that your pin will never really park right on the X and to just mentally have to come to grips with that. Now, it's an incredibly long process to go from beginning an archer, you know, as a beginner archer rather, to, you know, a 300 Vegas shooter even. Um, it's a super long process, but it's just really following steps and, and setting yourself up for success in the correct manner. I feel finding natural points of aim are best. I have a, a setup and a system in place to eliminate as much drift as possible to find my natural point of aim left and right. I do that with my stance and how it affects my hips and my shoulders. Um, obviously fine tuning draw length down to um, the 16th of an inch maybe, maybe more, you know, just as you're progressing and getting better, I think you'll find that you're going to have to extend your game on what you're doing. So fine tuning the draw length down a little bit more is gonna be more helpful to you. You'll feel the difference, you'll see the difference Depending on your skill level, you may not see that. You may not see a difference between a half an inch even, um, or an inch. I mean, you know, there's there's archers that can shoot, you know, one inch, you know, draw length longer, shorter, just as well. So I mean, it just kind of depends on where you're at. Um, using the correct muscles, creating the tension in your body that you need, the right loop length, the correct release for you. Using that release the correct way, finding a good aiming apparatus and setup for your scope that is most comfortable for you, stabilizers and their adjustments and their weighting and the type of shot that you shoot adapting over time along with the stabilizer weighting. Um, there's a lot and there's tons of stuff that go into it and that's kind of a loaded question that you can't have answered easily uh, just because there is a lot that goes into it. But I think mentally understanding that that pin's not going to sit still, finding your shot execution window and your total shot time window and then adjusting your release and your body and your shot execution style to match that window of opportunity that's going to help you the most and just trusting your float and running your shot that's actually going to be an entire podcast that i do pretty soon all about aiming trusting your float your shot execution and trusting your shot because i do feel like that's a pretty intense topic that is going to help a lot of archers more so on the intermediate to advanced level, but even at a, a beginner stage, it can also help you to take the stress away so that hopefully you don't develop target panic, or if you get a little jumpy, you can come back out of it and it makes it a lot easier. So I'm going to work on that and that's going to be a pretty good uh, podcast topic that I can go over. That's all I got for questions today, guys. Now, the one thing that I did want to mention, this is going to be in my Tuesday's Tip of the Week video coming out, so I can talk about it there too, but you're going to get the scoop as a podcast listener on the new process, and it's how I'm going to set up a different portion for coaching. I've had a lot of people that they want to see, you know, they want me to, to, to look at them and evaluate them, and look at what they're doing with their form or their shot execution or their bow fitment or whatever it may be. And they don't want to pay necessarily for a full coaching package or the full, the full out coaching package. 
because maybe it's just one little area that they need or maybe they don't know what area they need or if they need something specific. So one thing that I wanted to do, and I actually got this idea from talking with a coach through the baseball world and how he sets up his coaching um, as well. And it's, um, I'm gonna do $10 diagnosis evaluations. I'll look at a video, I'll look at a picture. I prefer a video, I think I can get more out of that, but if you just have a picture, that's fine. I'll look at that, it'll be something that you can purchase. I'll check it out, I'll run it through the same way I would anybody that I coach. And then I will give you one thing out of that that you can work on and a kind of direction to go. Now, if you want to in the future purchase a coaching package and you have done the evaluation, um, then I'll look at it. I mean, if it's within like, I may do it no matter how long the time frame is. I haven't quite decided that before I, I run all this and load it and, and kind of go through it. I'll, I'll make sure I make that decision. But it may be that it's a certain time frame, 30, 60, 90 days, six months, something like that. If you've done the evaluation and choose a coaching package, that $10 for the evaluation comes off the coaching package. Um, you know, there's in my brain, not a reason to pay for the evaluation and then a coaching package and pay full price for, for both. I think, you know, I can gladly take that off. Um, now if it's the reason I said time frame wise, if it's like a year later, there may be a totally different deal that's going on. I mean, really even six months later, there may be a whole different deal that's going on and you may need either another evaluation that we can look at, or even if you choose a full coaching package, I'm going to want to reevaluate you and where we're at because things change. Um, depending on the work that you're putting in, the time that you have to do it, the adjustment, the where you're at within the realm of archery, you could be a totally different shooter, totally different bow, totally different setup, all that kind of stuff. So probably put that on there and just kind of have a disclaimer with it and just, you know, run through it. But um, I'll put the link to that down in the description here on this podcast. It'll have the link to the website and the coaching. It'll have that evaluation package on there. I um, think that's something really good that I can do with some archers and really help a lot of people out that way. But I appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. These are now on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. iTunes finally got it approved. So if you want to go on any of these platforms and listen to this, if you'll leave me a review, that would be amazing. It's good feedback for me, so I know what I need to adjust. But it also helps um, bump me up the list to where other people can find the podcast. And I think that'd be really awesome as well. I'd love to spread the word as best that we can and kind of continue to grow the the community here, the archery vision community, which is my vision to bring everybody together so that I can answer questions, educate, um, learn from other people as I'm doing this. I mean, I learn from other archers all the time doing this and, and that's an amazing thing. So however we can, you know, all band together and, and beat the world of archery and, and learn and, and make it more fun is it's what's important to me. But again, guys, I appreciate everybody listening and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.